On this episode, I interviewed Jacob Tober, who is a co-founder at Metric, which is a velocity-based system used on your smartphone. The main topics of this podcast was a general overview of the theory and principles behind velocity-based training. So there's multiple ways that Jacob talks about how it can be used in the team sport setting, in the individual setting. We also talked about different misconceptions in how Jacob likes to use it in a practical sense. We then moved into easiest ways for coaches and athletes to incorporate this in their training and different sports, different populations, how they can use it. And we finally finished on the metric app in general and how it's different from other velocity-based training systems as it requires nothing but your smartphone, no external devices, and how the beta is launching currently and how they're thinking about moving forward with the app. So great episode on velocity-based training, great episode on metric and the app that, that Jacob and his company is trying to produce. So here it is. Welcome to No Weak Links with Patrick Wood. The purpose of this podcast is to help you learn up-to-date evidence-based content and knowledge through life experiences. This podcast is perfect for athletes, strength and conditioning coaches, rehab professionals, or anyone in the sports performance or sports medicine industry. So please have a listen, and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to Noic Links. I'm your host, Patrick Wood, and today I have on Jacob Tober, who is the co-founder at Metric VBT Systems. So today our main topic is going to be velocity-based training. Um, so if Jacob, thanks for taking the time to be on first off, but if you just want to give us a brief overview of your background, what you used to do, how you got into VBT and where you're at currently, and then we can dive into the topic. Yeah, beautiful. Thanks, first of all, for having me on, Patrick. It's uh, great to be on. Um, yeah, so my story started as a strength and conditioning coach. I did sports science, a sports science degree at Deakin here in Melbourne. Uh, sport obsessed as a kid, basketball, footy, all that sort of stuff, and then got into the weights from there. It seems to be the most typical story for, for young strength and conditioning coaches. Uh, and then initially it was sort of like looking at football, uh, TAC Cup, as it was known back then, it's the underrated program here in Melbourne. Um, but then started getting into the private sector and, and looked at, um, did an internship here at Core Advantage. Uh, loved that, got hired straight out of that, and then continued developing within that role. Initially as a coach, then sort of as a coach, internship management, educator hybrid, and then it became more of an education technology hybrid as we started looking into developing some technology stuff. My brother has a sports science, uh, not a sports science degree. He has got a um, computer science and engineering degree. And so we would live together and we'd sort of talk about this stuff and talk about velocity-based training and technology and sport. And then we hired him and he started working with us and started sort of playing around and tinkering with some ideas. And then we came up with what is now metric, which we'll talk about in a bit. Um, but we came up with the idea of a new way of doing velocity-based training. So I suppose I've always been interested in VBT as a coach, and the idea of tracking velocity and using that as a metric in our training to inform decisions or track progress or create competition always seemed like a really good idea. But it was always there's too much friction to do it. Stuff was too expensive. The software wasn't very good. Bluetooth connection was patchy. Hardware just got in the way and you had to swap it between devices became a real issue and it really slowed down the flow. So I always liked the idea of, well, I want to track velocity, but how can we do this in a more friction-free way that doesn't get in the way of the training experience and the coaching experience, but actually enhances it? And so that's what metric is trying to be. It's trying to be a um, uh, the beta actually launches today, funnily enough. So by the time you listen to this, uh, we'll be in beta. So if you're interested in joining that, uh, you can. we'll talk about that later in the show as well. Um, but yeah, we want to be a friction-free velocity-based training experience. So you can engage with your data as much as you want in real time, or you can just record it passively and then look at it after the session, after you've done training. Yeah, no, great. And 
worked so well your brother and uh you had the degrees complement each other to get where you are now so good story there i guess first thing we'll just talk about uh just a brief briefly go into it give maybe a, a brief overview on the theory of it principles behind it what it is how it works and then we'll get more specific as it goes on but for those who don't know a whole lot about it just kind of what it is yeah so i think i think in a lot of ways velocity-based training is kind of the wrong name kind of implies that we have to be training fast or all our training decisions have to be based around velocity as the name uh, I think wrongly suggests. I think of it more as just, it's another data point. It's another objective measurement we can use in our training to help us make good decisions. So just like we measure sets, reps, loads, rest period, maybe tempo and time under tension, we measure these things to chase different outcomes. And I think velocity probably because it's been trickier to measure historically has been one of those metrics that we have thought about and subjectively athletes always do it. They like, they look at a set or they do a set and they go, well, that flew up. That was a real grind or that popped off the, off my chest, whatever it might be. So that we're already using velocity in a subjective sense. And so velocity based training really just gives us an objective measure on that. So you can see how much of a grind it actually was maybe compared to your recent history or compared to the person you're lifting next to, if you want to compete on it. So it's really just a way of, quantifying the quality of your training, if you will, because velocity is very much a measure of the quality. It's very much linked to RPE, linked to how close you are to your 1RM, proximity to failure, things like that. And so by measuring velocity and then measuring it over time, you can see progress. You know, velocities are going up on the same weight. So your 100 kilo squat is going faster every week. Or you can measure fatigue and you can sort of look at, well, this week my 100 kilo squat is way slower than it normally is. So maybe I need to be uh, doing a deload today or doing less accessory work adjusting my training according to that fatigue. And so you can you don't want to use velocity exclusively, I don't think. I think using it with uh, RPE systems, reps in reserve, subjective assessments, other qualitative, subjective and objective measures can help you create a better picture of what your training's like in order to optimize the stress. Maybe do a little bit more work today because you're feeling good. Maybe do a little less because you're fatigued. All those kind of changes can be calibrated and done really precisely with good velocity data. Yeah. And so... I guess there's multiple points you touched on there. Maybe we can go into so there's different applications where you use it currently. Uh, maybe the, the you know you mentioned training it with or using it as a way to monitor training, using it as a way to program for training, and maybe go into ways that you think are most important, and then we can expand on those um, and then come back around to any others that are uses, but maybe not as much as you prioritize other ones. Yeah. Um- there are dozens of ways to use velocity-based training and it can be a bit overwhelming sometimes because there's so many choices and so many different ways to use it. I think for a beginner, even an advanced user, I think the best way to start is to find a little way to integrate it into your training. Just find one use, one little niche use that you might apply to your training and then expand from there. So it's kind of like a, a land and expand type approach as opposed to going, well, I need to go deep on this for 12 months as I've done in the past, and I need to learn all the principles, all the concepts, all the philosophies and apply them all at once and have a, a program that's completely based around velocity. You can do that, but I think progressing to that over time is probably a more appropriate way. So I think one of one of the simplest, and simple doesn't mean easy and doesn't mean it's, it's uh, ineffective. In fact, it is quite effective, is just to look at your velocity data um, within the context of your recent history and compete with a former version of yourself. So today uh, I'm doing a deadlift day. I've got trap bar. I'm going to work up to about 100, 135 kilos on my, on my top sets. 
I want to, along the way on those warm-up sets, compare them to what my warm-up sets have been in the recent history. So I use a 30-day average. So for example, I'm going to do 50, 80, 100, 120 as those warm-up progressions. Each of those I've done in recent weeks because I use a similar warm-up progression. I can compare today's velocities on those sets to my recent history. If they're all around the same or slightly above, then good. We're on a, on a good track, heading in the right direction, and we can progress from there. If all those velocities are in a hole, so if I'm you know, lifting at 90% of the speed I typically lift at for those weights, then maybe today's not a good day. Maybe I'm a little stressed. Maybe I'm getting sick. Maybe I didn't sleep that well. Maybe I'm under uh, underfed. I need to eat more food. All those sort of things can be used within velocity. And so then I'll get to that 130 weight and I'll go, well, am I going to go up? And the velocities are feeling great. And so I'm going to go after a heavier load zone, chase more strength because I'm feeling good. Or am I just going to repeat, do the same weights as last time? So that's just one way to use it. I think that's really good. Um, you can look, you could look at a velocity drop-off, which is the fatigue across, say, the, t- the first rep or the fastest rep of a set all the way down to the last rep of a set and see how much of a velocity decline you have. And so that can kind of tell you your proximity to failure. The more fatigue you accumulate in terms of percentage terms across a set, the more uh, closer you are to your proximity to failure, the harder that set was, the more of a grind it was. And so you might uh, be in a taper, for example, heading into a competition, you're about to compete in a, in a powerlifting comp, uh, and so you're in a taper. So we're going to go, nothing can go beyond 15% fatigue. The set finishes when you reach 15% fatigue, we're not going to let any more. Or the opposite, you might be in the preseason and you're looking to do high volume work. So it's like the sets don't start until you reach 30% fatigue because we're really looking to accumulate a lot more volume in those sets. Different ways to use the same tool. Um, you can look at velocity zones, although I think the most common uh, 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 described ones, the, the sort of five zones of starting strength, strength, speed, speed, strength, all those ones are a bit of a misdirection and they're a bit more complicated than they need to, need to be. But you can look at, uh, say, training at peak power. And so you can use a power metric instead of a velocity metric, find that point where the, the power curve starts to level out. And that's where you do your sets because you're chasing a specific power uh, adaptation and a, and a power stressor, for example. So they're just a couple. Um, I could keep going for another hour if you like, but I, I think I think just starting with that uh, intent piece and trying to chase more intent on the bar. So don't worry about just chasing how uh, how heavy you're lifting, but chasing how fast you're lifting those warm up sets compared to what you've done in the past. I think is a really good starting place. Yeah, no, I think those those are some good summaries. We can kind of dive into those points, and I think that was a good point you made of not just throwing everything in and trying to find some specific uses. Because I think that's obviously a big like it's great all the sports science and technology coming out, but if you're not figuring out things to measure and just getting a bunch of data that you don't know how to use, it's it's not as beneficial. So I guess one question off that, if you know someone comes in trying to lift these sets heavier each time, instead of lifting the same sets heavier each time, if they ask why not, why don't I just go up and wait? What would your what, what would you kind of answer that question as? So. I think if your goal is strength, then weight should still drive the training process. Like if you're a powerlifter, uh, if you're a rookie athlete who you know can't even squat one times body weight, that should be your first priority. You should be chasing heavier weights most weeks. And I don't think velocity needs to adjust your training or influence your training every single week. Like for me, it probably only influences maybe 10, maybe 20% of my training sessions. Most sessions I'll be in there, I'll be doing my sets and go, oh, they're about normal, my velocities today carry on. I'm just going to continue the plan. Last week I did 80. This week I'm doing 85. I'm going to follow the plan I'd set before I even go to the gym. But it's those other 10 to 20% of the time when it just gives you a little nudge to say, hey, 
I'm flying today. These weights are flying up. It feels so much easier and the velocities back that up. I'm actually going to go 87 instead of 85. I'm going to do a little bit more aggressive of a push. I'm going to do an extra top set while I'm up there because I'm feeling fresh today. So you take advantage of that, that good readiness, that higher readiness. So it's a way of adjusting your training plan to meet that. But then two weeks later, I'm tired, I'm moving house, I'm stressed. The session's rubbish. Today is just not a good day. I'm just going to do one top set. It's going to be the same weight as last week. So I'm not going to do any progressions here. I'm just going to repeat, hold my ground so that hopefully next week I'll be recovered. I won't have dug myself even further into a hole and I'll be better adapted next week to go. So you don't do it all the time. And I think if your goal is strength, you should still very much focus on the weight on the bar as your primary objective. And velocity is just an accessory metric to help you make good decisions along the way. Maybe a three by four day becomes three by three if things are a little slow or it becomes four by four because you're feeling really fresh and the velocities back that up. So it's just, for me, it gives me good confidence to make good decisions in real time and not just go, oh, I feel a little bit tired today. I'm going to back off. And, you know, you sort of make those subjective measures and it turns out subjectively you were wrong. You did not, you were not as fatigued as you thought you were. You're actually feeling really good. So get after it. Like the, the velocity backs it up. It's a good way to give you a concrete number so that you can make good, confident decisions. And that's both as a coach and as an athlete. So in my own lifting and in my coaching, I'm using that data to make decisions around that. Yeah, so I guess trying to summarize that, you will use these lifts to monitor the speed. If it changes uh, X amount, then I guess that would be the next question after this. How much? 10%? Yeah. So if it changes about 10%, then you're going to adjust weights uh, accordingly. And, and with that, it's obviously if you're, if it's slower or not as high or it's not as quick, then you're going to decrease weight. So if you're feeling good, go up. If it's similar, stay the same weight, use it more of, of a tool for there. Now, is this something that's, you're just looking at in your main lifts? Are you doing it in accessories? Or again, it's, since it's more of that um, tool and not the main thing you're training around, you're going to focus on using this just your main lifts. Yes, I'm usually applying this to my compound. So trap by dead, yeah. squat, power clean, bench press, those big movements early in the workout where strength and power really are the focus. Um, but I also, I'm not looking at velocity change on just one set. So I'm looking for trends. So I think you can get a little you can get a little too sensitive here and you can start jumping at shadows and go, oh, that set was slow. That set was fast. I don't know what's going on. Like things will move. Like you'll have a good set, you'll have a bad rep, you'll have a good rep. Things will change in a session and between sessions, but I'm looking for trends. So if all of my warm-up sets are at 90% of my 30-day average, that's a bit concerning. That's 10% drop, which is quite a bit in terms of velocity when we're looking at, you know, 0.4, maybe 0.6, 0.7 meters per second. 10% changes 0.7 down to 0.63. So that's a big drop in velocity. And you'll be able to, you'll be able to feel that as well as notice it on, on the app. So if there's a big drop like that and it, it re- continues over a few sets, then I'm like, mm, this is probably not a good day. But if I have one set that's down there and then the next set's back up at 98% or 101%, then I'm not too worried about that single set. So I try to think more about trends and I'll look at multiple sessions in a week. So if one week I'm a little bit down, I'm not going to worry too much about that. But if I'm a little bit down one week and then a little bit down the next week again, so there's a trend downwards as opposed to progressing, which they should, which I should be seeing if I'm training well, then I'm like, okay, maybe this fatigue's starting to accumulate. Maybe I'm starting to get a little more burned out or this athlete is heading into finals so they're a bit stressed or they're in exams so things are starting to accumulate in their life. So today on the back of those two slowish sessions, I'll make that adjustment. Um, but yeah, I am only applying this to compound lifts, but that 
velocity on those compound lifts might dictate what I then do in my accessories. So if my compounds are really good and flying up, then I might get after my accessories as well. And so I won't measure them specifically because it can get a little time consuming to measure every single set. And I'm not too worried about the velocity of my bicep curls. Um, but measuring, say, my bench press early in the session, and if it was really good, then maybe today is a day to be a little more aggressive on my accessories as well. And so sort of this specific readiness tool on my bench press, for example, can become a general readiness tool for my overall training session and can sort of inform the rest of the day, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so it's obviously subjectively you are saying beforehand, you know, you think you can feel one way, but with this it gives you more of an objective measure and, and some numbers and data that then you can try to see how well you're doing, obviously subjectively, but as well as give you probably more of a slightly accurate reading of how you're performing comparatively to just how you think you're feeling. Another question off that, you said a 10%, sorry, said a, 10% uh, change is what you're looking for. How much change do you do with weight? So let's say 10% change comes. How much weight or change? Do you have a general rule there? Yeah. So uh, when we talk about 10%, I'm talking about uh, best rep velocity compared to a 30-day average of best rep velocities. So bench press 60 kilos is a pretty standard warm-up for me. I'll compare today's best rep on that set to the best rep over the last 30 days. And so if I'm at 90% on that, so 10% lower than my 30-day average, what is kind of typical for me, if you will, um, that alone won't tell me that much. But if the 80 is also down, then I'm going to go, okay, maybe I'll repeat weights today. So I'll just hold the weights from last time. So a 10% drop in velocity shouldn't lead to a 10% drop in weights, if that makes sense. It should just lead to a slight nudge. So it might yep. be two and a half kilos, Maybe, maybe in an extreme situation, five kilos off the bar. So like a, you know, a four to 5% drop in total weight. Um, but more likely, it's just going to be one less rep. So a set of five becomes a set of four or three sets yeah. of five become two, becomes two sets of five. So I'll do, usually I try and manipulate volume with reps and sets before I'll manipulate the load. Because um, like we talked about the strength athlete before, if your goal is strength, which for most people in the gym, that is your goal is to lift a heavier weight, produce more force. We want to try and keep that up because if we keep if we let that that load decline too often, then we move away from the goal. If you're a powerlifter, you're not going to be rewarded for having good readiness on the day. You're going to be rewarded for being able to lift a heavy weight. So, I just find ways to manipulate the volume first. And if that's not enough, if I'm really in a hole, then I'll take other sets off or I'll take load off. But typically, uh, any load change will be just a repeated load. So if last week it was 85 kilos, instead of going up this week, I'll just hold that weight and try and repeat the volume or maybe take a rep or two off. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and then the last thing you talked about there with, with zones of training that you said you're not hundred percent into there. Uh, obviously. So if they're, you know, you're just decreasing volume, they're lifting at certain speeds. Is it, the certain speed is going to get the stimulus you want, different stimuli, or is it different than that? Or how, how do you think about that? Because I've kind of heard a couple of ways there. If you're training for the certain speed, certain speeds going to get you that adaptation. But if you're kind of saying something different, is that what I'm understanding? Yeah, I don't think specific speeds are linked to specific adaptations. I think it is a very small factor, but it's right at the bottom of the list of variables to be changed. So if we're looking at developing strength, 
you know, we do it, you know, uh, in sports science, in strength and conditioning, personal training, you do a needs analysis. So you go, okay, I've got a basketballer here with me. They want to improve their vertical leap. So what muscles does the vertical leap use? It loses quads, glutes, calves. So you'll use exercises to develop, uh, use and program exercises to develop those qualities. What does it look at? It looks at sort of squatting patterns, hinging patterns, things like that. So you'll do trap by deadlift, squats. So choosing good exercises and good movement patterns is significantly going to trump choosing the right velocity zone for those movements. A squat, for example, isn't really a high-speed movement. It's slow and it's heavy. So you should train it appropriately. You should load it up. You should get after good weights on that. If you're looking for velocity, jumps are going to be better options. A power clean, a snatch is going to be a better option to develop those qualities. And so those movements have their own unique load velocity profile. So a snatch and a clean is significantly faster than a squat across all weights. And so that weight will then obviously be relative to the strength level of the individual, but the velocity they achieve on that movement or the power output they achieve on that movement is really dependent on their context. So uh, I'm reasonably tall, I'm 6'2", 6'3". So my movement patterns are going to be different to an Olympic lifter who's only five foot seven. Their velocities on that power clean are going to be completely different at the relative loads because of their height, their limb length, their biomechanics, the, their technique, their, those, those sort of factors. So instead of chasing 0.7 meters per second, for example, on a movement, I want athletes to chase either heavier load, so we're getting stronger, or a faster, a faster velocity at that same load. So it's a new way of tracking progress in that sense. So instead of targeting a specific velocity zone, I pick the exercise that's going to get what I want. So I want to squat for strength. And then I go, okay, we're either going to lift that weight faster or I lift a heavier weight every single week. And that's how we're going to measure progress. So either you squat that 100 kilos faster this week than you did last week, that's a form of progress, or we go from 100 kilos to 105 kilos. That's also a form of progress. And so you can apply that same idea to the power clean and go, okay, well, the Olympic lifts, let's look at power more so than we look at weight on the bar. Let's have me see how many watts we can produce and go, can you produce more watts each week? And then, you know, that'll go up and down with readiness and with fatigue and with progress. But each week you should be not worried about how much weight you can lift, but how many watts you can produce. And you find the weight that suits that wattage. Um, and then each week try and make it more. So instead of trying to, you know, limit someone to 900 watts, well, let's go 900, 910, 920. And each week we're making progress on that metric. And so it's just an objective measure in this situation. Before we're talking about an objective measure of, you know, fatigue and readiness. Now it's an objective measure of progress. So we're using velocity to go all power to go, okay, we're making progress at rate of force development on that specific movement. And so over time, using velocity zones, they'll change because you'll be progressing. You'll be squatting that weight at a slightly faster speed, hopefully every single week. Yeah, no, I think that, that clears it up a lot. If, with you, Obviously, you're going to almost take velocity out of there and just say this movement is more in this velocity range or is changing this or uh, training this specific aspect instead of saying the squat will cha- will train all specific or all strength speed speed all the all across the full continuum um, so that that makes a lot more sense when if we're trying to distinguish here so you know they're improving power they're improving weight uh, or velocity sorry in, in the set do you have all right so they've been stuck they've been on this weight for x amount of time their velocity is still going up. When do I add weight or when do I focus on velocity or is that individualized or how do you go about reasoning through that? Yeah. Um, bit individualized. So it would depend on the context. Um, and it would depend how, what that athlete's goals are. So powerlifter, for example, the answer is almost going to be more load 
and then we'll just look yep. at velocity secondary. Um, for a team sport or a ball sport athlete, though, um, there becomes that sort of law of diminishing returns point where adding more weight to the bar isn't really going to help them. And yes, they could lift more weight and improve the skill of squatting, for example, but it's not really going to have much more transfer to their jump or their change of direction or their speed. So in those situations, it's okay, you're already squatting 1.7, maybe two times body weight. Let's look at squatting 1.5 times body weight really fast. And so you look at more of a dynamic effort sort of power focus with your training. So here's where uh, I use a three zone uh, speed zone system. So I have a, a strength zone, which is anything above sort of 80% of your one RM is really you know chasing strength. And you're looking at that strength quality, anything around the peak power point on your power curve is going to be, or the max power point rather is going to be your power or dynamic effort zone. And then anything under that sort of max power point, anything into the ballistic zone is going to be your speed or ballistic area. So med ball throws, plyometrics, they're ballistics, Olympic lifts, jumps, they're going to be power squats, deadlifts, they're going to be strength exercises. So the exercise will determine the zone usually first, but you could still use a squat, for example, go a lighter load and then add bands or chains to it and do an accommodating resistance, dynamic effort kind of movement, uh, maybe cluster sets, those sort of post-activation potentiation type combinations. You could use those kind of exercises, those kind of uh, integrations to chase that uh, move a squat from a strength zone, if you will, and move it into more of a ballistic or dynamic effort power type zone. And in that situation, then it's like, okay, let's uh, let's set a, a velocity zone. So say they normally lift their double body weight at 0.3 meters per second. We're going to sort of keep them above 0.5 or above 0.6. And so they're going to lift in sort of a 0.8 to 0.6 meters per second zone. So we're going to pick a load that allows them to reach that. Then we're going to add some bands or chains and we're going to do you know, four sets of three cluster type work in that space. Um, highly individual and you'd need to then make these decisions in conjunction with other training ideas. So, you know, the idea of using cluster sets or using accommodating resistance, those decisions get made first using the exercise, the load, those things get decided first and then the velocity zone will come last. And so then you go, okay. And it's really just about giving the athlete an idea of where they need to be relative to their max. So if their max squat is around 0.3 meters per second, which is a slow, grindy rep, what we're doing is we're sort of using a zone or a velocity target to, to go, okay, we don't want to be lifting that slow. We actually want you moving more like 0.6, 0.7, not because 0.6 or 0.7 is special, just because it's going to give you a higher wattage and a greater rate of force development. It's still going to be a decent weight. So it's kind of about balancing that out and creating that situation, if that makes sense. So the actual specific velocities you achieve aren't the goal. You should be lifting everything with as much intent as possible, I think trying to really explode through all the weights, heavy stuff, light stuff, medium stuff, should be trying to lift it as fast as possible no matter what. But, and so yeah, each velocity specifically isn't the goal, but you can use those velocities to keep them within a target. So, okay, we want to change more around peak power. So we're going to chase more like 0.6 to 0.7 for that individual. It'll be different for different people though and different exercises as well. Yeah, so then I guess that's when it shifts from more of that initial monitoring or determining readiness to programming in that aspect, right? Is that what you're trying to say there? That's when it changes to more of a programming tool rather than your monitoring initial assessment type tool. And it could be both. You could do both yeah. of these things simultaneously. So you could be monitoring readiness on warm-up sets and that might determine what today's dynamic effort weight is going to be. So last week we did 140 kilos in that 0.7, 0.6 range. This week you're moving them slower. So it's going to be more like 135. 
but that's still going to be the appropriate stimulus for the version of the athlete we've got in front of us today. So you could do these things sometimes and you could do one or the other. There's no, there's no rules and there's no single or universal system that you do with your VBT. So it's not like you have to do it the same way for everyone in every situation. You could use mm-hmm. 10 little different applications of VBT all at the same time in your gym. And that would be perfectly fine. As long as you can keep track of who's doing what, that would be perfectly fine and appropriate. Yeah. And, and you mentioned peak power. Is that something that VBT can help you determine, you know, what that weight or what that um, intent is to, to hit that for the athlete? And how, if so, how would you kind of determine that? Yeah, totally can. And what's cool about it is you can do this in real time. So you wouldn't have to do like a testing day, for example, to find it because your power levels, like your readiness, are going to change on a day-to-day basis. So you can use velocity uh, or use a power metric in this situation. And what you do is, uh, again, over your warm-up sets, you track power. And so if the load velocity profile, so the relationship between load and velocity is kind of linear, the more weight you lift, the slower it moves. When it comes to power and load, it's more curved. And so the point of peak power occurs somewhere in the middle. So some load that's going to be moderate, depending on the exercise, somewhere between 30 or 70% of your 1RM, that load that enables peak power will change on a daily basis, but you can find it over your warm sets. As that kind of curve kind of levels out and starts to flatten off, you can find where that peak power point is. And so I'll use that in, say, Olympic lifts. Um, I'll target instead of going, or we're going to do sets at 60 kilos today, we're going to do sets at your peak power load. So we'll do, you know, warm-up sets, you know, we'll do five, then we'll do three, then we'll do two, and we'll keep going up in warm-ups until that power output starts to level off or flatten off, and then we'll go back a bit and we'll find that point. So you do 40, it's 800 watts. You do 60, it's 900 watts. You do 70, it's back to 850. Okay, the peak power point's somewhere around that 60 kilos, around that 900 watts, and then we do our work sets at that load. Uh, And then next week, we might find that the peak power point is shifted up. So it's closer to that 70 kilos today or it's shifted down. It's closer to 55 today. And so you can adjust the load to maximize power output. And so that's a readiness kind of uh, order regulation tool. But at the same time, we're tracking the, the maximum amount of powers you did achieve on those work sets. And hopefully that number is going up regardless of what the weight is. We're trying to achieve a greater wattage or greater velocity each week and each session. So if this week it was 900 watt, next week, hopefully it's 950 and you can track these over time and make sure you're making progress. Yeah, okay. I think, I guess one thing that I like to touch on as well, so we've touched on different ways for monitoring and readiness and as well as training. Obviously, these can probably be applied similarly in the rehab space, but is there anything else in, in particular that you, in the rehab space with you know sports rehabilitation that you found is a really good way to integrate it that we haven't touched on yet? Yeah, so... The, the power stuff and the velocity stuff is really good for late stage rehab. So returning to sport, not just getting stronger, but also improving rate of force development and that sort of, and symmetry. So you can, you can do, you can record velocity on unilateral exercises and use that as a measure of quality between left leg, right leg, for example, split squats, all that kind of stuff and, and measure power there. Um, but one really cool thing about velocity, using velocity in the gym is you can actually flip it. And instead of worrying about how fast you're lifting the bar, you can actually measure things like tempo and time under tension and worry about how slow and controlled you're moving the bar. So you can use the same measuring devices to go, okay, instead of chasing the fastest speed possible, let's chase the most duration possible under the bar. So you can use it in a hypertrophy or a volume or an accumulation type phase in your training and get after those sort of things as well by tracking tempo, eccentric time, pauses, all those kind of stuff as well. 
and then how how would that uh, how would that look or what metrics are you looking at there specifically just time like the total time under tension or any or yeah I guess with that uh, again it would depend on your goals so yeah. uh, set the training goals first we want to you know, build VMO mass post ACL surgery we want to build hamstring bulk we want to uh, get your calf up to some uh, back up to size after an Achilles surgery whatever it might be and then you go okay we're looking for total volume load in your training. So that has to go up every week and volume load is a product and depending on how specific you want to be, volume load can be a product of sets, reps, load and duration or even tempo. And so you could go, okay, we want to get uh, three second eccentrics uh, but and 45 second total sets. So the set, don't worry about reps, make sure every eccentric is three seconds long and make sure you're getting 45 seconds. And so your you know, metric doesn't have this feature yet, but in the future we'll be able to alert you to your tempos and alert you when you reach a certain duration of your set. And so you can go, okay, find a weight that allows you to do three-second eccentrics, 45 seconds of work. Maybe then use an RPE system in conjunction with that and make sure the RPE is around eight. If it's not, let's lift a heavier weight and you can do things like that. And so next week, we're looking for uh, three-second eccentrics and 50 seconds of work so as a way of progressive overload. So you're either increasing the, the, the duration of the set or the load on the set, or both if you're, if you're doing well. Yeah, yeah, no, I think I think those were all good summaries of, of obviously applications and ways to use it. Uh, is there anything that are missed out there or things you want to dispel about it that we haven't already touched on? Um, dispelling is a good word. Uh, the speed zones is that biggest one. That idea that there are five magical zones of speed attached to velocity. I think you see it so much in beginner guide blogs, the beginner's guide to VBT, and it goes straight into the speed zones. They can work and they can be good ways you know, of, of getting your athletes to target dynamic effort work and take their love away from plates on the bar towards love of velocity and intent. So you can sort of change the goalposts and give particularly team sport athletes where the goal isn't always how much weight you can lift, but how much rate of force development you can produce. So velocity is a really good tool there. And the speed zones can help you with that. But a better way is just to create competition. So put a leaderboard up in the gym, you know, who can do the best velocity on a one times body weight bench press? who's got the best velocity on a 1.5 times body weight trap by deadlift and compete on those numbers with themselves over time, but also with their teammates can create a good culture where we reward, you know, lifting, you have to lift decent weight. You got to be strong enough, but also rewarding intent on all the sets up to that heavy load as well. So every set is approached with really good attack and a real good rate of force development. So we get more motor unit recruitment and neural firing and all those good physiological and neural skill sets and qualities, we get those developed as well as just maximum force production, which sometimes can get in the way of the, the training goal, particularly for sports like basketball and, and Aussie rules, where you're not always hitting other people really hard. NFL, gridiron, uh, rugby, you need to be super strong for those sports, but things like uh, more running and agile-based sports, rate of force development is really much more important sometimes. So moving that goalpost and giving them a velocity target or a power target gives them something tangible to focus on with their training that's not just how much weight's on the bar. Yeah, okay. No, that makes that makes sense. And then obviously going diving into the athletic team sport group training with the with athletes. Uh what's I know you mentioned before focusing on one aspect of training initially and then kind of branching out more if that's going well. But you know, there's so much going on. There's so many athletes. A lot of times there's one coach or minimal coaches. Uh, What's, what's your best way of 
integrating it in an aspect like that or do you have any general guidelines or, or things you like to try and do or ways you try to integrate it in a setting where resources are minimal and athletes training are high yeah group group settings are tricky because i think a lot of the benefit of vbt is in the individualization finding people's specific velocities and then giving them targets around that so in this situation the velocity targets can be appropriate so if you're chasing dynamic effort work just giving everyone a blanket 0.7 meters per second on their squat is sometimes a good starting place. It's not going to work for everyone. Some people that's going to be too heavy. Some people that's going to be too light of a weight at that 0.7 meters per second, but it might give you a good starting place. And then you could maybe individualize for people from there. So you might say, okay, guys, we're doing squats today. Somewhere between 0.8 and 0.7, I want three sets of five, for example. And so that way you're chasing dynamic effort. It's more of a power day as opposed to a strength day, which is going to be slower. But as you're working with the athletes, you might notice some athletes, that's a real grind. 0.7 is actually quite slow for them based on their unique anthropometry and their height and biomechanics. So for those ones, you might go, okay, you're going to do a 0.8 instead. So you're going to be a little bit faster, which means the weight's going to be a little bit lighter and that'll bring us back to the power point. Alternatively, you could just use max power. And so you could find that max power point on the curve we are talking about before and have them find the load that hits that point. That's one way to sort of auto-regulate the load um, based on a velocity or a power target. But I think another good way to use it with groups is to use the velocity cutoff stuff. And so to, to end sets early if they accumulate a certain amount of fatigue. And so to do that, you would have them do their sets. Maybe they're training with a partner. And when they reach maybe 20, maybe 30% fatigue, whatever the number you're using is, the sets end. So they do their three by five is the planned workout at whatever weight they were doing, hopefully heavier than last week but you also have that 20% cutoff. So it's, you're going to do three by five or three sets up to 20% fatigue, whichever happens first. So that way we avoid those grindy, ugly, particularly in team sport settings where they might have a game in a few days and we don't want to accumulate too much fatigue. There's good research that says having less fatigue in your sets will leave, allow them to recover faster and perform well in a quick turnaround. So having that, uh, that less velocity loss, if you will, so having closer to 0% velocity loss will lead to better outcomes and a faster recovery for those athletes. So, you know, their sets might look like uh, first set five reps, they get that out all right. Next set might just be four reps because they're a little fatigued quicker. And the last set might just be three because they're actually, you know, they're not resting enough between sets or they're just a little bit tired. And so those last two reps, last set, probably weren't going to be much help anyway. So we just avoid them, avoid that fatigue, get out of there and start recovering quicker. Yeah, and then that's sort of going back to not necessarily specific stimulus that you're giving them. So this stimulus is training strength, speed. This stimulus is training speed, strength, etc. It's more of a stimulus of you've gotten the maximum benefit that you can get before we just kind of go that next step overboard of into extra fatigue. Is that what you're saying there? Yeah, exactly. We're just avoiding too much proximity to failure. And so in a powerlifting setting, for example, we want good proximity to failure. You should be working above 90% of your 1RM and doing three, four, five reps in that range pretty often. Like you need to be pushing those limits. But if you're a team sport athlete and you had a good off season, you built plenty of strength there. In season, we just want to as much maintain that strength as we do want to increase it. So if you're still lifting similar loads, we're getting the force qualities, we're getting those sort of neural adaptations there. Doing extra volume at that, rate, at that weight isn't necessarily going to help us. So whether we do three by five, we do three by five, four, and then three reps. There's not really much difference on a week-to-week -week basis. 
and pushing them to do those extra reps and grinding it out is going to have a negative adverse effect on their game on the weekend. So we might as well just cut them off and use velocity as the indicator of that. And so it helps athletes find the individual amount of work they need to be doing at the time. We still want them to apply good intent and lift every rep, you know, close to as fast as possible. But some weeks that fatigue will just accumulate faster than others. So that might just be three by three this week instead of three by five. Yeah, okay. And with, I don't know if you can give maybe a couple examples or a couple general ideas, but, you know, you've talked about the with basketball and being more agile and then you have your rugby and contact athletes being having to be a little more strong, et cetera. Uh, do, you, do you have any other general examples of ways that you've used it with a certain type of athlete or specific sport that that's worked well uh, um, that, that they've done a lot and you find is, is, is very beneficial or yeah, anything along those lines? Yeah. Um, I still think the rest of the program comes first. I think it, it, in this situation, if you're programming for a rugby athlete or a basketball athlete side by side, their programs, the rest of their program should suit their sport first. And then the velocity is the tack on at the end. It's the, it's the added bonus that we're getting to give us richer data. I think though, no matter what, I still think the best use of velocity is that contextual piece. So comparing your velocity today to your velocity in the past. So if you're a rugby athlete, maybe you're going to be doing rack pulls, you're going to be doing box squats, you're going to be doing a certain type of exercise with a certain rep set scheme and chasing probably heavier loads than the basketballer is. But still, I want that athlete to do their box squat faster today than they did last week. But that faster might therefore mean they push their weights harder. Whereas the basketball might be like chasing the faster weights is in itself the goal, not the green light to chase more weight. It is itself the goal. It's like, good, let's get that medium weight to move really explosively. Whereas the rugby athlete, and this is not a product of velocity-based training, this is a product of the rest of their program. Their goal is to get to double body weight on that deadlift or 2.2 times body weight on their deadlift. Whereas the basketballer, 1.5 or 1.6 times body weight is probably enough. And then we want to do that 1.5, hold it, keep doing it, don't give it up, don't, you know, don't go have a nap and go eat some cookies, still keep working, but you want to now chase that 1.5 faster and faster and faster and do that with more power and more explosiveness. So the, I suppose the ceilings for those athletes in terms of load lifted will change and be different, but the, um, the, the way we use velocity would be the same. I would still use velocity as a readiness tool, as a marker of progress and have them compete compared to their former velocity. So use as a motivation tool, drive intent, increase power, things like that. Yeah. Okay. So still, still keeping that main major principles there of how you use it, just some, some minor tweaks individually for, for different sports. Exactly. Um, I think far too, far too often people will try and go, Oh, I've got this velocity based training tool device app. Everything has to be based around velocity. And it's like, just because we're recording velocity doesn't mean it has to has to, we don't have to get value out of it every single session sometimes you just record it you look at it and go oh that was interesting nothing to see here i'll just go about my training that's perfectly fine you still want to record that data though because those that history that accumulated history will build up and when you do need to rely on the velocity and go oh today's not a good day i should back off because of slow velocities poor subjective readiness whatever it might be that's when the velocity data becomes really valuable. Gives you that good confidence and and context to make those decisions with good yeah confidence. Yeah, so I think 
last major question here, and then you can even go into into metric and how possibly this could be a way to help it. But I think one of the biggest issues, especially working in group settings or sporting settings with all these athletes in here, is the impracticality of measuring so many people um, without having just one-on-one time specifically and integrating that into a full session. So is there ways that you've done that with um you know how how you've structured that or how metric is different and is able to help that versus other other devices yeah so so the the big benefit of metric is there's no hardware there's no no need for any additional products or buying a thing or a battery to charge your bluetooth to connect or anything to strap to your bar you just use your smartphone and the camera on the back of it or on the front of it and you just record your lifts from a side angle put the put the phone against the water bottle in a little tripod, roughly side on to the barbell, and it will record and track your lifts automatically. So it uses computer vision instead of a string or an accelerometer. It uses computer vision to find the barbell, find the plates, and track them through space and give you range of motion, velocity, and other metrics. So the beta launched this week, like I mentioned. If you're interested in that, it's on metric.coach is our website. Go there, join the wait list, uh, join the newsletter, and then we'll send you the details for the beta. Um, but that's the big benefit is that there's no extra piece that you have to move between bars, swap athlete profiles, things like that. Your athletes would just have it on their phone. They'd put it up to the side, press record, and it delivers the data at the end of the session. So you could, uh, let's say, so, yeah, so someone's, if you just had a single phone there recording, you just do your hit record, someone does three reps of bench, et cetera, come up, comes over, they see their score, then you can literally just hit record, Next person goes, you see the score. Yep, yep, exactly. Okay. Um, the first version, the first version we're releasing doesn't have any ability to save data, so we're still working on those features. We're still going to build out the database and the ability to save your videos, save your data, all those contextual, all the stuff that I've talked about in this episode so far that might sound like it's a bit too tricky and complex. Metric is going to do automatically for you. We just need to build those features, so they'll be coming uh, during over the over the course of next year. We'll be releasing those features and adding those on. But the first version that will be coming out, the beta that's out now, and then the version 1.0, which comes out early next year, that one will be, you can record a single set, review it, save the video, review the data, and then repeat and, and record a new set. But you'll only be able to save one set at a time. So those that ability to save context and history at the moment is a bit manual. So you have to do that. I've created a logbook that you can get on my website as well um, or via my Instagram that you can log your data or you can log it yourself, find your own way to log this this information and save it uh, somewhere. But uh, in the future, we'll have all these features built into metric as well. Nice. And and with that, again, when you record, do you have to uh, like let the video know when the bar is at the top and bottom multiple times? As I know other apps that have done this, like my jump and my lift, I think it is. You have to kind of do similar things like that. So those ones use uh, slow motion slow motion video. Yep. And you have to find the bottom of the rep. This is the yep. bottom. Scroll through. This is the top. And then tell it how far your range of motion is, which can be quite variable. So you might have measured your range of motion and actually the lift was slightly different. So that, that can happen. Um, as is fully automatic. So it's fully automatic, high precision. It counts the reps. It does all that stuff for you, delivers the numbers um, with complete auto- autonomy. Those, uh, like the MyLift one, for example, they use a crude form of computer vision where they just generally track the object. We have developed a system that's quite different. Um, it's, it's in the process of being patented as well, which is pretty exciting. Um, it specifically looks for the object and tracks it to the pixel. 
And so it's, it's quite a precise automatic system that does that. You need to be roughly side on to get a good view of the plates and the barbell, but uh, roughly side on is enough. It then takes its own position, the camera's position relative to the bar into consideration to give you those precise numbers and the precise measurement of the bar's movement in time. Yeah, nice. So then pretty much enter weight. It's the only thing you need to do and then it just goes from there. Yeah, so you select yeah. your exercise, you enter your weight, press start, record, press stop. The, the numbers are delivered almost instantly as soon as the set finishes. Yeah, nice. Is there any anything else on the application you want to um, chat about or any other things that we didn't have a chat in this brief bit? Obviously, there's like a lot more coming and a lot more to say, but anything else you'd want to share here um, before we head off? Not really. Um, we're just looking for, at the moment, with the beta program, we're just looking for people to try it, give us feedback, tell us what they think. Um, and, and in general, we like what we, we want to build not just another VB2 tool, but a revolutionary one. We want to make this stuff, we've kind of talked quite in depth about different specific applications. We want to build a tool that allows coaches to find their own ways to apply this. So a really clean, simple way to use and collect velocity in real time or just passively on the side and then you review it later and give coaches the tools to use velocity better and better in their training and not be constrained by the technology. So um, give the app a try, download it, uh, have a play, tell us what you think, give us feedback. We're still building a lot of features, so a lot of this stuff is is future stuff that will be coming and depending on when you're listening to this episode um, will depend on what's available at the moment. But you can reach me um, at VBT Coach on Instagram, I'm always up for a discussion or a DM if someone's got ideas. Why doesn't the app do this? Where's this metric? Where's this feature? Um, like we want coaches and we want athletes feedback on this stuff so that we can make a better tool. If there's not enough rehab features or that time and attention piece isn't detailed enough, give us feedback and we'll see if we can integrate those ideas as well. So we really want to make this, you know, I'm a coach by training. I've, I've been coaching for, for 10 years now. We have a team of coaches here at Core Advantage who are all using the app. We want to build it by coaches for coaches instead of just technicians in a lab building this thing and going, oh, well, you should just use it like we use it. No, we're coaches. We're you know, coaching dozens of athletes at, at a time in the gym with just a handful of, handful of us on the floor. We want a tool that works and scales in that situation. So um, that's the goal. That's, that's the dream. Yeah, well, great. And thank you very much, Jacob, for taking the time to be on. I think that gave a, a good overview on, again, not – using it as a tool in the ways it's used and not blowing out a portion and going, you know, this is, as you said, of trying to, it's going to stipulate everything of training because a lot of time that's impractical, a lot of time that's too much to, information to take, but gave some good ways to actually um, apply it and, and then use that data. So yeah, thanks again for taking the time and really appreciate it. My pleasure. Keep, keep it simple. I think that's the, the big message. Start small, and go, oh, that was interesting. Maybe I'll try this. And don't be afraid to throw ideas out. If you start something and it says, this is not working, my athletes aren't getting it, I'm not getting it, start again. Start with something different. Try something different. Reach out to me. I'll give you some advice. I'm happy to help um, steer people in the right direction for sure. So, yeah, thanks for having me on. No problem. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to No Week Links. If you'd enjoy the show and would be able to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, that would be much appreciated as it would help the show reach more people. I also provide free strength and conditioning content and injury rehabilitation content on Instagram at Coach Patrick Wood, on my website, www.patrick-wood.com. All this information can be found in the show notes. Thanks for listening.